Welcome to LD Disrupt, the podcast dedicated to helping you overcome workplace challenges and prepare for the future of work today. I'm your host, Nelson Sivalingam, and I'll be speaking with the movers, shakers, and path breakers in LD who are reshaping their organizations right now. Join us each week as we delve into the highs and lows of work in the industry to get to the real nitty gritty stuff that you actually care about. This week on LD Disrupt Live, we are talking about how you become a great place to work certified company. That'll be that nice logo, red background, white copy you've probably seen on a bunch of your favorite uh, companies' websites. In a nutshell, it's a certification that um, sort of recognizes companies for their great cultures, um, combines employee survey data with an entry around your culture, your programs, and your practices. And as our guests who just introduced themselves uh, explained, they're all working in roles in people, HR, L&D, and have been there and done it at companies that have become great place to work certified. So uh, for anyone who joined late, I'm joined by Michael Brown, who's the VP of Global Talent Attraction and Growth at Sneak, Jenny Brown, Chief People Officer at Teamwork, and Harrison Rao, who is the L&D Manager at IFM Consulting. Now, I want to start off with something that seems simple, but can easily be overlooked. And that is that the certification is essentially a byproduct of already being a great place to work, right? It's not like you decide you want to apply and then you decide, work out if you've got a great company culture or you've got engaged people. Um, You know, it all starts with having those things in place already. So I guess my question to start off with is, how do we start with understanding whether we have a great place to work, we have engaged people, uh, and basically, can we work out how or when we're ready to apply for a great place to work certification? So, uh, Michael, I don't know if you want to kick us off. Sure. Um, so I've done this a couple of times now. I think um, in my experience, it's best to start with like a data analysis and some sort of like data collection. Um, you can look at things like your engagement survey or Glassdoor or if you've done any sort of like focus groups. Um, you know, anything that's kind of like AKA the voice of the employee. Um, so tend to start there. And then from there, um, uh, you know, I'd love to kind of go into more of like a employee value proposition build out, um, so that you can, uh, you know, ensure that you're a welcoming company and that you're inclusive and that it really aligns to the core values. Um, and then I, you know, I tend to, you know, kind of figure out what my cultural pillars were figure out how I would measure them. And then I would go for the great place to work certification. Um, in my opinion, it's a total gamble. If you don't necessarily know what you're measuring and what your, you know, what your people think uh, ahead of going into it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And Jenny, I know you shared something interesting with me before around you shouldn't let any doubts around what you're going to find in that data deter you from entering because you're going to get great insights that are going to be useful either way. So maybe tell us a little bit around your thoughts on on not only working out whether we're ready to apply, but maybe why we shouldn't have any fear about applying and starting this process. Yeah, I mean, to to kind of to Michael's point on the data, you know, you should have some level of confidence around where you sit. Um, And I think great place to work as an accreditation should always be 
a result of having a great place to work. It shouldn't be the thing in itself. It's just a badge. It's a validation. And I think that's where the insights come from is having that external walkthrough, that external validation. Um, it helps us to understand whether or not what we think we know is in fact what we what is true. Um, um, so there's some really good kind of feedback process there at an organizational level. Um, and it it does it it you have that ability to have somebody walk you through it. And I think that's hugely helpful. Um, and it's it's independent, it's validated, the survey is anonymous. So you tend to get good honesty um, uh, from people in terms of what they want to say and whether or not they do, in fact, think that where you are is a great place to work. So um, I think it's not about just, you know, jumping in two feet first, but it is about having that kind of mapping process done that Michael talks to using the data you already know um, and um also deciding is this the thing that is important you know why are you doing this at all is it important from a talent brand talent attraction retention you know understanding the why we're doing this helps us to kind of lean in i guess in terms of the the process itself um but i don't think you should hope you know you shouldn't wait until you have 100% assurance that you're going to get it i think you 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 know you, you make a fairly good case around it and you go right let's do this and whatever comes there's some really good data there's some really good insights and an opportunity to, to validate um what we know or to be aware of things that we don't already know yeah yeah we're going to discuss this uh in more detail later how we can use the insights we get what you can actually do with them but before we move on and also maybe come back to this mapping part harrison what are your thoughts on this understanding whether you're ready to apply, which data you should be looking at at the start to understand that. Yeah, for us as a business, we do um, twice a year, we'll do internal employee feedback surveys. The challenge with those, of course, is it's not necessarily going to be as accurate as, as doing it through an independent body. So I think one of the things for us when we initially decided to do this a couple of years ago was I think we had a good feel for, for the culture in our business. I think we've done a good job of defining what we wanted that to look like. Um, and I think based off those surveys that we were conducting and looking at other data, like Michael mentioned, even things like retention, for example, um, we had a good sense of, of how it was going to go when we did eventually apply. But all that being said, um, yeah, I think one of the great things about it is it is a lot more I suppose, impartial, the data that you're getting because people maybe are, are a bit more reluctant to give their honest thoughts when the feedback is being, when the survey, sorry, is being conducted internally. Um, so that was one of our main reasons for, for doing it, actually, as, as Jenny said, was we had a high level of confidence that it would turn out the way that we wanted it to turn out. But even if it hadn't, we would have got so much valuable data there for us as a business. And I think getting really high quality 360 feedback as an organization from your employees is a really big challenge so even if that was the only outcome we would have been happy with that and harrison last time we spoke you mentioned this kind of that mindset in being useful for pitching it to people internally like there is going to be a benefit to this regardless because it is kind of a process that takes time it takes effort it takes other people's input so 
there's this real idea of packaging it and delivering it to other people to get buy-in. So how did you kind of go about that process? Kind of piggybacking on your last point there. Yeah, for I think it can be a challenge sometimes getting, you know, 100, 150 people in, in a business to complete a survey on time when you need it, right? So before we actually made the decision to go ahead and, and make the application, one of the things that we did put a lot of thought into was how are we actually going to get people to complete the surveys without us essentially having to, to nag them to do so. Um, we're very lucky at, at iFarm. We've, we've got an excellent marketing team uh, and they were the big driving force behind that alongside other members of our people team. And then that sort of trickling down to kind of middle management and, and beyond in terms of communicating to people within the business, this is why uh, it's going to benefit you to complete this survey and less about we as a business would like you to do this survey because we would like to get this accreditation. It was more about us communicating. This is actually, if you take the time to complete this survey, uh, this is what it's going to allow us to do as an organization that's actually going to benefit you. Um, and because of that, uh, fortunately, yeah, we were able to get the responses that we that we needed without having to kind of yeah bother people too much to to get to that point. Yeah, and then Jenny and Michael to to bring you both in. Just thinking about the other way we get by, and it Harrison talked a lot about the sort of end user there. The person will be completing the survey. There'll obviously be people at the top that maybe you're looking for budget from leaders who you need to help carve out time for people to fill in this survey. So. Just curious about that other end of the buying spectrum. How do you pitch it kind of upwards, for want of a better word, and get the people you need to sign off on it to buy in to the idea? Yeah, you want to I guess, and it comes back to the point around why are we doing this? So I think the 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 the, the opportunity for teamwork was we were scaling. We needed to build brand um, and great place to work is really a very helpful, useful, recognizable badge um, externally. Um, and we um, and, and so it, it aligned very much with what the job that we needed to do from a hiring perspective. I mean, we've added something like 50 percent headcount over the last you know 18 months to two years. Um, and we all know that culture is now more important for our potential candidates than nearly everything else, even even salary. Um, so, you know, again, it was a really good opportunity to, <clears throat> I suppose, formalize what we already knew. We had a we've had a very strong culture and we could see that. Um, but it also creates um, and so it creates opportunity. So the case itself made itself. Um, and I guess I had the budget, so I just said, yes, this is what we're doing. Um, and in, in the grand scheme of things, actually, because we were focusing on um, one geography as opposed to doing it across multiple footprints, we focused purely on Ireland for this round because that was where the majority of our um, um, people sat and it is our headquarters it felt like that was the right place to start um, and then we moved to the US and um, potentially that's that's kind of the next region we are growing a team out of Denver and we have a team in in in, in New York as well um but um so yeah so again it was really about why it made sense we had a very strong call to action to scale to build headcount to um to um 
to, to set up a, a US hub out of Denver and Colorado. And um, so the case made itself. I didn't have to really convince anyone um, hugely. Um, and again, to the points that have already made, it is also a very useful way to validate um, and engage around something um, in terms of culture and in terms of brand. Cool. And Mark, what do you say? Um, I think both Jenny and Harrison have uh, said most of what I would have said as well here. But I think it's in general, you know, um, buy-in wise, it's, you know, be honest, be clear. Um, you know, if you're going up, I think, you know, utilize as much data as possible. I think um, utilizing your employee value proposition and any of the, to Sarah, the question you asked, the cultural um uh kind of pillars um that that we measure ourselves against you know using that data to say you know that there there's a high likelihood right that you know if we continue to score the way we have scored or the way that the the company believes we're sitting today well there's a high likelihood that we'll we'll achieve this and so having that that justification i think really helps going up and then going down it's you know uh being honest about you know the brand the attraction the retention that it creates, but also the pride that people can feel from, you know, being a great place to work or winning one of the awards that can potentially come with it. So that's, that's my two cents. Yeah. And you referenced that question from the chat there about your cultural pillars. This is something I wanted to come back to and a nice segue into the actual application process. But part of it is that you kind of have to go through this culture audit. So how helpful is it for people to know what those cultural pillars are how we know we're succeeding against those before we even get into this process. Because I'd imagine that for you personally, knowing that having clarity, having measures of success in place was really useful when you got to the formalized application, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also really good validation against um, the, like if you're already running an engagement survey and have a, a survey you know, strategy in place, it's great to be able to, you know, calibrate the data one from the, the other. So I think there's there's a lot of like really good that can come from that. Cool. I think it's a nice time to move into that actual application process as well then. And that, that reference is a question from the chat that we can kind of answer quickly. But is there a template that's available for you to use? Um, when you're going through this, are there any resources provided by a great place to work? I know from from reading about this, that essentially you have to use what they call their trust index, right? But um, yeah, just to I guess open floor to kind of just get your thoughts on the application process. Maybe if one of you is happy to give a quick summary of how it typically works from from your end, rather than my kind of scanning their website understanding of it. I'll, I'll jump in. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sure. Um, yeah, so it's typically uh, there's kind of two two main parts, or I guess three main parts. Um, the first would be um, the internal survey. Typically, that's the easiest part, in my opinion. Uh, you set up the survey and you hit the hit the launch button, right? And then you just kind of watch the the feedback roll in. Um, and I believe it's uh, I cannot remember off the top of my head. It's I think it's seventy percent. Um, you need to achieve. Uh, based on your total population in order to score. Um, so that's the that and that's a two week process from there. Um, there's the trust index um, and uh, the culture audit. Um, and I think the um, 
the the big pieces and we can we can go back here but the big pieces are really the culture briefs um and the culture audit because of just how many different departments and how how much coordination goes into that but um do you want to do you want to drill into any of this gary yeah i think maybe if we start with the survey itself so i guess there's a whole bunch of different things that go into this right like how do you pitch it to people how do you communicate it to people how do you get the timing right so um jenny would love to know your thoughts and experiences on how you seed that survey out to people how you get that magic 70 percent what are some of your tips and tricks you've learned in, in on that one so I think we had an advantage in that we already had a fairly structured um, employee voice strategy. And so we would already have had um, a biannual organizational wide survey. Um, and all we did was supplement the um, the internal survey with the Great Place to Work survey. So people were already used to doing something at that time of the year. Um, and uh, we actually had pretty high participation. It was something like 78%. Um, I think it was helped by the fact that it was the first time. Um, and I think it is also helped by the fact that the process is relatively painless in terms of that internal survey. Um, it wasn't hugely time consuming. Um, and again, we made sure to tee it up well in advance, talk about what we were doing. So pitching it to everybody. So it wasn't just landing on your in your inbox um, and making sure that our leaders and managers in the business understood their role in pushing the participation. So we would have kind of gone to them and gone, look, you know, participation is only this amount can you push it out can you reference it in your team meetings can you encourage people to complete it and um, reminding people again that it is a fully anonymized survey it is external and it's validated and there is no no and we do not get to see it it's going outside and there's a strong wall um between what we we see what essentially the report but we never see the raw data so again you know, again, we're a technology company, and our and engineers typically are suspicious of anything, and are and they are the ones asking the questions, going, but you know, can you not, you know, hack the, you know, whatever. And so again, making sure that there was that confidence in the, um, in in the process, in the uh, confidentiality of the information that was going to be given out. And really encouraging people to be as open and honest. And teamwork has a very strong value of transparency and being, you know, pretty straightforward. People are not shy about telling you what they think. And um, so I think our culture actually helped to ensure that that process was pretty good and the participation rate was high, um, um, although not substantially high for a tech company. Interestingly enough, we thought we were doing great and then we were told maybe it wasn't that great, but we still think we did great from a first round perspective. Um, and again, it was just bringing everybody into the party and making it everybody's uh, job to, to, to be done. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah. When did you kind of start that process of uh, reaching out to people, letting them know it was coming, speaking to the team leaders? Because obviously, like we just spoke about, uh, it's kind of a two week window, the, the trust index, mm -hmm. isn't it? So it's you know like how far in advance are you kind of seeding the idea and trying to liaise with the right people to make sure there is that buy-in? We have been communicating around it for quite a number of months in terms of we had said at the start of the year that this was an objective for the team and for the business. 
um, and it was going to be, we already had an organizational metric of an EMPS um, to, for, as, a, as a people metric in a line, as, as well as a revenue metric. So we kind of set the scene up that ENPS was a core data point for us um, from a people perspective from the year before. Um, and essentially what we had said to the board and to everybody was that the, the great place to work accreditation was the end of that journey as opposed to the start. So we tried to bring people into that conversation really very early on. Um, so we talked less about the great place to work, but much more about engagement, much more about the ENPS. We made sure that we gave departmental readouts at the mid-year um, internal survey. Um, and we started to create more ownership at that level um, and got uh, we're trying to do better in terms of I suppose being the the deliverer of the data, but not the owner of the actions um, around the what the data was telling us. Um, <clears throat> so I I do think there's there's value in kind of setting the scene early and making sure that the narrative is around um, you know, what is the thing? It's around the culture, it's around engagement, it's around, you know, it's giving us data. It's an opportunity for you to tell us the things that work the things that don't and fundamentally do you do you recommend us you know um as a great place to work and if you don't well why don't you and help us to figure out what we can do to get us better in that space so and i think that's important and so we really did um as i say start that early um it was part of our strategic strategic priorities we invest a lot of time working with team needs, walking them through it. Mm. Um, and so when it came to it, it wasn't a surprise for anyone. Um, and um, my head of internal communications at the time would have worked with the teams um, and in terms of setting it up and making sure that it was internally um, aligned around and communicated around. And I think that made the process actually quite smooth. People understood what it was about. Yeah, I think there's some nice stuff in there around how you package the messaging to people. Like you said, it's about what's the employee engagement level, how are we measuring that, as opposed to we're doing this for our own benefit, for the company benefits, back to the individual, speaking the language, the people you need to be brought in are going to speak. So I really like that. And Harrison, I wanted to come to you on the, the survey finally as well. I know you have some good insights on kind of people's threshold for filling in surveys, getting the timing right, but also open floor for sort of any other thoughts on and memories on that first part of it, the survey. Yeah. So I think the survey was sent out to everyone late October, early November. Um, and around about that time of year, there's there's also, especially in an industry like recruitment, there's lots of awards and things, right? So th there can be a tendency if you don't get the balance right for there to be a bit of a death by survey, right? And that does dilute people's enthusiasm for, for wanting to complete the survey. If they've already been asked to complete three or four other things, they, you know, kind of get a bit confused about well, why are you asking me to do this one as well? How is this different from the last one that I did, et cetera? Um, so you've just got to prioritize what you think as a business is the most valuable survey for, for you as an organization relative to kind of where you're at as a business in that moment in time. Um, and yeah, for us, it was it was about making sure that the sole focus during that time period was on people just completing the Great Places to Work survey. Uh, anything else that we needed them to do um, that's similar to that, we would 
leave until until that was completed because we saw this as kind of the, the most important thing. So it's just prioritizing what data you want from your employees and not overwhelming them, you know, with having to complete surveys when obviously they've got other responsibilities, right? Perfect. There's a couple of questions actually on this survey one from the chat that I wanted to get to for sort of the benefit of the people listening to the recording later as well. But a question from Rowena, could the survey be used to help define the culture and working in a startup that's quite an early stage? Or would you actually recommend doing your own internal survey uh, first to get that gauge? How would you kind of um, answer that question? Jenny, I can see you nodding. So maybe if you want to kick us off. And I think it depends why you're doing it or why you want to do it. Um, again, I think if you just start with going after a great place to work accreditation, I think there's a risk of cynicism that the only reason that you're doing it is to get the badge, but you don't actually really care about what your people are telling you. Um, um, so I think there might be, but what you can do is engage with great place to work and understand um, the the trust index, what it is they're going to be focusing on and use that data. They're usually pretty good at telling you kind of the areas that they focus on um, and using that as your baseline for how you structure your own surveys. And there's a lot of nice engagement survey tools out there. I mean, we use Lattice. We've used um, different ones in the past. Um, so it depends on where you are in terms of your own tech stack. Um, Culture Amp is good. And there's there's different ones out there. Um, and it doesn't have to be complex. And in fact, it's better if it's not. It needs to be quite simple, quite straightforward. And it's, again, engaging people around the why. So we're doing this because we want to understand um, and we know engagement is important. We understand the relationship between engaged people and the performance of the business. So you're linking it again to the business and the outcome for the business. And I think that's where you get the traction. If you focus purely on it as a people initiative, you doomed, I think, um, or at the very least, it's muted in terms of the impact it can have. So I don't think it's a right or wrong on this one. I think it depends um, but I think if you are just starting out on this road, I would be inclined to not use the great place to work initially, but use it as a template. So talk to them, find out about them and agree it as part of a journey and kind of map it out and go, this is how we're going to start this. This is the approach we're going to take for now. And this is going to be where we're going to end up. So this is our North Star. So we want to go after a great place to work in 2024. But now we're going to start and we're going to put in a structured employee voice um, kind of strategy. This is who's going to own it. This is what we're going to do with the data. This is how we're going to facilitate you kind of engaging on it. And I think, you know, to the points that have already been made, making sure there isn't that fatigue, you know, thinking about the cadence how much you're asking. We switched across to just having monthly pulse surveys, so short bursts of feedback across the business, and then one big survey in June, which is internal, and then the great place to work, which runs at the end of the year. And that's set up so that they determine the timeline of the survey as opposed to we do. So we've sort of mapped our program around it now. But it's taken us a bit of work and some, you know, hit and misses and we've iterated around it. And I think that's and that's OK. I think you need to be OK about doing that and going, look, we don't quite know yet. We're going to try it. If we need to change it. We change it. But that would just 
be my readout on it. Yeah. Um, the guys cool, will no. have a different perspective. I think that's really useful. And you also answered another question from the, the chat there, Jenny, around how best determine the time to launch these surveys. Like you said, a great place to work kind of had its own has its own deadlines and you probably need to just work backwards from there is the is the answer to that one. Um can't believe how quickly time is flying by. So I wanted to kind of move on to the second part of the process, which is this culture audit. Um, I guess if, again, like Jenny or Harrison, if, if either of you are happy to maybe give a quick summary of what that normally entails, um, and then also just maybe some reflections on who are the sort of people you can expect to collaborate with during that process as well. So, um, yeah, did you, if you want to jump in there? Or Michael, if you feel happy talking about the the sort of uh, second part of the process as well, happy for you to jump back in. I was maybe less involved with that specific yeah. aspect of the, of the process as, as I imagine Jenny and, and Michael would have been. So I'll uh, I'll let one of those guys tackle tackle. I'm happy to jump in. Um... So I think, um, as I mentioned before, this is this is probably the harder part of the of the the process, um, and this this entails you know filling out their their template essentially of all of the the template in, information um, that they request, and it's you know anything cultural, it could be finances, it could be funding, it could be um, uh, intention, market intentions, um, award, previous award, it's like all sorts of things. And so in order to, you know, get, get this information, um, in my opinion, it's best to actually build a project team, um, around, uh, the culture brief, uh, and tag in a very cross-functional team, uh, someone from talent brand, uh, the people team members that you might need to tag in for, you know, people data, uh, the finance team, the marketing and PR team. Um, and then I think the last group I would probably pull in is investor relations, you know, somebody from that team. Um, and just making sure that you've got, you know, buy-in across the board. There's usually, in my my experiences, actually in all of them so far, there's usually a little resistance at first um to actually giving some of the information it usually comes from like finance marketing pr investor relations is where that resistance comes from um and it's usually because you do need to disclose um funding information um and not everybody is you know willing to do that um <clears throat> sometimes it doesn't even that that doesn't apply to everybody either so uh, maybe this is for for those that are vc or, or pe backed um and then you start start completing and and that would be the that would be the process. And at that very start, is it have you found it's useful for people to be aligned on the common goal, what the timeline is, what their role is? You kind of mentioned that term culture brief as well on that. Yeah, I think it's it's important that they they know what their role is and then you know the timeline, um, like when you want that information, because you don't this is the thing that could potentially drag on and you could end up with some scope creep around, you know, this part of the process. So trying to box them in and give them, you know, some deadlines on when, when to have that information complete by is, is very critical. Cool. And then Jenny, any thoughts from you on this second part, the sort of culture audit, what have you had to typically submit in the past? Who have you maybe worked with on this kind of uh, part of the process? Yeah, no, I mean, I think Michael's kind of called it pretty well. You know, again, it's just a deep dive. Um, 
Um, and um, it depends where you are in terms of the evolution of your own culture, in terms of your own framework um, and the complexity of the organization that you're in. Um, um, but um, again, I, my understanding is it's not required. Um, um, it's it's an opt-in. It's something you do as part of the process. Um, but um, but it's again, it gives that valuable insight um, um, that you want. And particularly when you think about why you're doing this, it is around building your kind of, I suppose, cultural um, perspective and, and, and building that out and mapping your culture. This gives very, really good external validation. Um, and particularly when you think about the link of, of, of culture and, and engagement to performance, it's becoming much more a part of the business conversation than it would have been previously. Yeah, I think that leads us nicely on to you send this all off. You're waiting to see. Hopefully you get good news back. But as we spoke about at the very start, regardless of the outcome, you're going to get this really good bank of data back from great place to work that you'll be able to use to continue to improve your culture to if you don't get the outcome you want, improve on the things that are coming back potentially um, negatively or you're not hearing the things you thought you might hear. So essentially, this this next part of the conversation, I wanted to hear your thoughts or three of you on how we can leverage that data um, regardless of the outcome to ensure that it's useful, we continue to build our culture. So, um, Jenny, when we spoke before, you mentioned that actually great place to work can kind of pair you up with like a psychologist to go through them and experts to look at the findings. So I'd love for people to hear that what happens after the you get the findings back process. Yeah, I mean, and, and to some degree, I think that was probably the, the most valuable part of this was that you had somebody external coming in and bringing the data to life, because that can actually be the challenge, even with our own internal uh, surveys, is unless you have a strong um, people analytics team, um, it can it, it, you can limit your understanding and, and the way you, you kind of leverage it. So having somebody external, having an occupational psychologist to work with you and walk you through the data, um, and it's interesting because you may, I remember reading it going, oh, that's what it means. And he's like, no, that doesn't mean that at all. And I'm like, oh, okay. So that's why it's really helpful. And he builds it out. And he also helps you to kind of not look at the number as much and think about the thematic imp impact. And actually, don't worry about this. You're doing fine here. This is where your challenges might be or where if you focused on these three things, then you would dramatically improve on your score um, for the next round. So. Um, that's really, really, really helpful. Um, and we had somebody come in and walk it through with us in the people team first so that we had line of sight. I didn't want it going cold to leadership um, um, without having had a walk through first. Um, and it was really useful and really valuable. We did it then the second time around with the wider leadership um, and executive team. And again, you know, really, really useful data and good to have that. And then obviously the focus around action planning is really important. So it's like, you know this. So now what are you, what two or three things you're going to do and commit to? Um, to because essentially the the purpose of that is not to go, well done, good job, but and that is, but it's also, well, what are you going to do to, to get it better? How do you improve? What are the things that you now know that you can work towards so that you improve your overall score for the next time. I guess that's so helpful because 
it stops things like our subjectivity influencing how we read the data. We're allowed to be far more objective when someone else is explaining to us how certain things work. And I guess is that part of the benefit of the great place to work entry is that access to someone who is going to act as like a real knowledgeable source on analyzing data to make sure that you are using the findings effectively as opposed to open to interpretation, you know, speaking to someone who's not the best with numbers, who might be better with words, it, it I guess it would be really useful. Cool. Um, I want to bring Harrison and Michael back in. Harrison, it'd be cool to hear your thoughts on, on how you and your wider team kind of use those findings and insights to then go on and improve or put actions in place like Jenny just explained. Yeah, so the, the data that you get is, is incredibly detailed. Um, so we used that data to make a, a number of changes to, to how we were doing things as an organization. And I think the most valuable data that you get, especially from a, um, from a senior leadership perspective, is that data that maybe you, your perception of how you're performing in a specific area and your perception of how employees, uh, how happy your employees are with X, in reality, their satisfaction with, with that thing, whatever it is, actually falls below what your perception was. So just to give you a couple of examples, we made some additions and changes to our uh, DE&I policies uh, and gave employees a lot more involvement in the policies that we had in that side of the business and made sure that people are a lot more hands-on and involved in, in the initiatives that we were doing. Um, it's also completely changed how the business communicates, especially communicates change. Uh, again, that was something that we felt, our perception of that was that we were doing that to a, to a high standard, but in reality, that was actually falling a bit below um, people's expectations of what people would have liked to have seen. So now that the business does a, a great job of, uh, of communicating things more clearly, of making sure that stakeholders at every level in the, in the organization understand if there is a change in the business, this is why that change is taking place. So it's just given us a lot more, it's made us a lot more transparent as a business, I would say, and it's helped us change um, a number of internal initiatives that we do to be more in line with what people would expect from, from an organization that has this accreditation. Yeah. And thinking about the fact that great place to work is something that needs to be applied for again on, on a regular basis. Do you think that this has only helped improve people's perception of great place to work? Like you said, you pitched it at the very start as this is a way for you to share insights that we're going to take away in action. And now you actually are showing people how you're changing the culture, improving certain aspects of the process based on the findings you got from it. So there's this real positive kind of feedback loop, I guess, for the overall process of Great Place to Work. Is that something you're perhaps seeing or, or early signs of that? Yeah, definitely. I think people's skepticism when we first got them to do the survey, which was two years ago, um, has definitely decreased because they've actually been able to see some of the specific things that we've implemented off the back of people doing the survey. So definitely now people's enthusiasm and willingness to complete the survey is definitely a lot higher. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the, the information, because you're doing it every single year, it just gives you a snapshot in time, right? It, it's a reflection of where your business was on that day. It's not a reflection of how your business always has to be, right? So yeah, if you don't make any changes, if you don't do anything with the information, 
uh, then yeah, maybe you get an accreditation, maybe you get a nice certificate, but if your employees aren't actually seeing the impact on that, then really it doesn't mean a great deal. Yeah, no, no, I love that. I totally agree. Michael, um, to come back to you on this one, how have you seen the sort of findings play out for you in, in the past? I know you've done this a number of times now, so kind of would love to get your thoughts on some of the things you've noticed work and how it's been useful for you personally over the years. Yeah, um, I think, you know, Jenny Jenny laid it out really nicely and, and Harrison as well. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of this um, falls back into your overall uh, you know, survey strategy for the company, right? It's, you know, are you a high touch organization or a low touch organization? And, you know, hopefully you're a high touch organization and you want to hear and, and understand what's going on and learn. Um, but what I found, you know, pretty useful is to utilize uh, GPTW, the survey bit um, and the outcomes um, as more of a like validation method um, from some of the engagement survey action planning that we had uh, we had maybe put in place. So, for instance, if you survey your your you know your your company on an engagement score or engagement survey in February or March, you know, and then wait to do uh, GPTW until maybe six or seven months later, there's an opportunity to see potential change. Um, and so, you know, having an action plan strategy you know, that's aligned to something where you can't, because you can't necessarily boil the ocean. So aligned to, you know, two, three actions um, that you can laser focus on, there's there's opportunity to see and utilize the data that comes from GPTW to determine, are you making change? So that's, that's usually uh, what I've, you know, outside of the things that have already been mentioned, that's probably the other way that I'd, I'd try to utilize that data. Yeah. I think you made a great point there around prioritizing which points to take action on. Do you have any sort of more insights for people on that? Actually, just a great question coming from the chat there from Rowena as well. Do, does Great Place to Work recommend specific actions as an output um, outputs and things you can focus on? Or how do you prioritize that yourself? So we'd just love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, one of the, the 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 beautiful you know output that Harrison mentioned um, is includes you know, all of your data, the findings, but then it also includes potential action plan ideas. So um, you can utilize their ideas um, or you could, you know, potentially come up with your own. Um, and in terms of like determining what our most high impact, I mean, uh, I I don't know if I'd necessarily use GPTW to determine that. Um, you know, I think uh, maybe utilizing your broader engagement survey um, and trying to, you know, like for instance, we use uh, at Sneak, we use CultureAmp, and CultureAmp has an index around um, how, how impactful certain questions are, you know, to your organization specifically. Um, and so I think that's, I'd use that strategy over maybe utilizing GPTW. Cool. Thanks, Michael. Um, Harrison, Jenny, any thoughts on that? Like the recommendations you get from Great Place to Work, how you've prioritized before we kind of move on to the, the final topic? Yeah, I mean, we obviously are the data that we got is only a subset of our our total organization. Um, and so there's there's obviously you have to be aware of that, that it doesn't over index something that may not be true for everyone. Um, but it does give you a good sense of something thematically. And to the point that Mike has already made, you look at it against what you already know and it helps to validate. It may give you a little bit more color, a little bit more nuance. 
um, and you build it in. So you're constantly, you know, I think you one thing I would say is don't just use a great place to work annual survey as your engagement strategy, because that's not what it is. It is just another it's an independent validated data set that's really helpful. But you need to have your own internal approach. You need to use some other way to gather um, engagement data um, um, to help you um, inform your decision making and the things that you're prioritizing around. Um, I think what we did with the feedback that we got from Great Place to Work was look at it in the context of what we already knew. And what was interesting was it did validate a lot of what we already knew, um, and it, but it brought other things into greater emphasis. Um, and so there was a real value to that. We then essentially shared it out at, at a departmental level um, and the call to action was at a departmental level to then action plan with their teams, think about things that were, were true for them um, and what they would do. So, um, and I think that that's important. I don't think that certainly from a people and talent team, we don't own the actioning. We do own the facilitation of data and feedback and insight, and we consult to the business around that. The business needs to own the insights and they need to do something with it. We can't do it for them. Um, so I think that's that's important to remember that. And again, we then we watch what's coming through internally. We do have things that we know are important. And some of the things that came out of it, we now go, that's now become part of our strategic priority for this year. Um, um, but it's more of a long burner rather than something that we act to. But it helps us to understand the thing that we, we need to emphasize. And then when we do the survey again, we see where the improvement is and where we have have made progress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, a reference point, part of a wider strategy. I um, yeah, completely see where you're you're coming from. Harrison, any thoughts from you on that one before we kind of move on? Not a huge amount to add, right? It's one data point, right? There's there's other factors that you need to consider when you make any change in an organization. So this is great data, it's useful data, but it has to be used as part of a broader picture rather than just like GPTW said to do this. So we're going to do this. Yeah, no, no, that's a perfect, nice, succinct way of putting that. Uh, 10 minutes left. So if anyone does have any questions on anything we've discussed so far, feel free to drop them in the chat. We'll try and get to them. But um, I wanted to circle back to something that you, I think all three of you alluded to throughout the conversation is the usefulness of great place to work as an employer branding tool. They have this own their own stat from their website that certified companies are up to four times more successful attracting, retaining, and engaging talent than the average workplace. But as people who've been there and done that, I would love to know kind of your perceptions on what it, how useful it's been, at all of those things, attracting, retaining, engaging people. Um, Michael, did you want to kick us off? Sure. So um, I guess putting my brand hat on for a moment, I think um, GPTW ends up being a great way to showcase your company, right? You end up with a profile, you end up with um, badges, and you end up, you know, in with opportunities, um, you know, for market attention, you know, via the awards, right? And so, you know, helps to build market reputation, or helps to build brand, helps to create, you know, the inbound uh, you know, applications, you know, and that, that, you know, the top of funnel, you know, that we all want from a, from a brand perspective. I also think that, you know, the, the, the output can also, as I'm, I think we've, a lot of us have 
alluded to as well is that it, you know, it, it can create pride for your company, which, you know, if you feel proud about something, you know, you tend to want to stick with it. Right. So, you know, creates that retention. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would just say is that, um, you know, that I think, you know, there, there's a, there's a great opportunity behind it to, to use it as a, a storyteller, a differentiator, a content builder. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's become like an expectation from candidates yet. For instance, maybe like Glassdoor, where when people go to you know check a Glassdoor, but but I, it could it, it, you know very well could you know become uh, you know for for you know maybe some of the candidates that you truly do want this this could be a great way to to attract them. No, no, really um, interesting to hear that. And Harrison, when we spoke before, I remember you mentioned that it if if nothing at all, it could be a great conversation starter, but I know there's more to it from, from that, but what have, what's your experience been in terms of helping iFarm from an employer brand perspective? For sure. When it comes to attracting talent, right, it's one of those things that definitely helps to have, but by no means does it solve problems that you might have from, from, a, from an attraction standpoint, right? So for us, it's using it as part of that conversation when you're speaking to potential um, people that would like to join your organization. But if you can't give them specific examples of how your business exhibits that, then again, people are fair. I, I, I tend to find people are quite skeptical of, uh, of accreditations and qualifications and things sometimes, unless you're actually able to say, okay, well, we're a great place to work, but this is why. This is what, you know, these are the salaries and benefits and uh, this is what our culture looks like. These are some of the other things you can expect when you work at, uh, at our organization. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those things that an increasing number of people recognize as being something that um, says a lot about the organization that you work for. But at the same time, if you can't kind of live and breathe it every single day and if you can't give examples to people that you're looking to bring into your business, if this is how we actually um exhibit these things, then it's, it's certainly not, it doesn't answer all of the problems that you might have for, from an attraction standpoint. So that would be sort of my thoughts on yeah. that. And then from a retention standpoint, similar, similar idea, really. Yeah. Do, do, do people that work at iFarm appreciate the fact that we, we have this accreditation? Absolutely. 100%. People are proud of it. It's something that we market to, uh, to externally as well. Right. But if we're not doing things every single day as a business that, are actually embody what it is to be a great place to work, then again, it, it, it doesn't matter, right? It's, it's not, uh, it has no, no real impact. So it, it's, a, it's a great thing to have, but you have to do a lot of other things to make sure that it actually is helpful. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think in an isolation, it's not always that useful to just see, for example, like how now recently we went through the flexor, flexified process. And it's great that we've got that flexi, uh, flexification score, but it's also really good to see the breakdown of why do people like the flexible working offering that we have at How Now. That is more interesting than just the fact we have it. It's actually like 78% of people like the fact they have autonomy in their role. Knowing that and telling that story at the same time, that's how you kind of differentiate yourself and, and go a little bit beyond, I think. So super interesting to hear that. And, and Jenny, from your perspective, how have you seen it play out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good point in terms of it's a useful way of of crafting the story and linking it back to the EVP. 
um, um, and uh, my yawning head of talent is on the call um, and he manages the, he owns our talent brand piece, so he may have a perspective on this. So that was well-timed. Um, uh, I'm clearly less interesting than I thought. Um, but um, <laughs> I don't know, Peter, if you want to add into this, but certainly like we've done a lot of work in terms of the EVP um, and the great place to work is is just another piece of that um, conversation, a piece of the story. And I think it has to be reflected back in the day to day. It can't. Otherwise, you do get that cynicism and you get that. Oh, yeah. But like I know loads of places have great place to work, but they're like the worst places to work. So you've got to be able to tie it together. Um, and build it out, but it does give you a way to 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 bring a thing out, and you know this is a thing that matters, and it links to your your why, you know your why, your 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 value proposition, and it helps you to stitch it together, and you can use a great place to work to validate it. And I know Peter has some plans to link in um, a talent brand campaign against our great place to work um, in the early summer, which links to our staff event, which is called Grand Council in July. So again, we're taking it and we're using it to amplify something that is around our culture, um, as opposed to using it um, as a standalone thing, because I think then it falls a bit flat and it is just a marketing campaign. Cool, yeah, really interesting to hear. I know we're really pushed for time. I just had a question from Sarah in the chat. Were there any other alternative accreditations you looked at before choosing Great Place to Work? Or was it always going to be Great Place to Work? Uh, Harrison, maybe you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, we did the Best Places to Work accreditation as well in the UK, um, specifically for staffing firms. Um, again, all I'd, all I'd say to that is that the surveys come out at a very similar time of year, I think maybe within a week or two of each other. Um, so you just got to be careful that you don't try and pick like three, four, five, and people are just spending the whole of October and November completing surveys and slowly going insane. So uh, yeah, just pick maybe one or two that you think are, are most relevant to your organization. And I'd say that's probably your limit yeah. based on our experience. No, no, consistent with what you said earlier, the survey fatigue, the, the threshold for completing surveys, you don't want to, to go beyond that. Um, Michael, you mentioned in the chat you, you looked at Comparably before as well. Yeah, we, we looked at Comparably as, as an alternative. Um, it has an interesting kind of pulsing uh, real-time data collection uh, methodology, but they don't necessarily have as much of a global footprint. So would, one of the things that we were um, interested in doing is making sure that wherever we had a major hub, we could, we could potentially enter ourselves into, you know, the award, you know, system. Um, and, you know, comparably just didn't, didn't match up based on, you know, our, our, our hubs. No worries. And uh, that completely makes sense. Jenny, anything from you just before we wrap up? Yeah, no, again, I think we looked at the thing that was going to give us the most bang for buck and um, the thing that was the most recognizable and great place to work has been around since forever. Um, and again, you do still have. So we got the great place to work. We then got, you know, um, the best uh, we were on the best workplace in Ireland listing. And now we're going to be from next week, hush, hush, uh, one of the best companies in tech for 2023. So it in itself, it creates those sort of um, segmentation. Um, and again, it's another way 
to get it out there and create brand presence. So great place to work. There's a lot of heavy lifting from a marketing perspective, which I think is really good. Um, when we when we set up and expanded into the US and Denver, we did work closely with built-in, less for the employer brand, but more to run the, the talent brand campaigns. So again, looked at localizing for that, but not as a badge. Um, I think it can get, you can just start chasing the dragon a little bit too much to Harrison's point and there is fatigue. Um, and again, it comes back to why you're doing it in the first place. So great place to work has the advantage of validating what you should already be doing. Um, it's not a thing in itself. Um, otherwise, you know, we may as well all just work for marketing. Um, and that's great when you're pushing a product, less great when you're promoting your people. People start to to see through that a little bit more. And to Michael's point, people already look at other data sets. So they want to make sure there's consistency across across what they're seeing yeah awesome great summary and point to end on uh i can't believe that hour has gone so quickly i want to say a massive thank you to jenny harrison and michael for joining me uh sharing some great perspectives on, on something i didn't really know too much about before today so hopefully it's the same for everyone else in the chat and everyone listening to the recording